1: In today's show we cover the five biggest news stories from the world of Formula 1, which this week are Four years later and we still miss Charlie A long road ahead for Williams, Alonso the key factor Is a London Grand Prix back on the cards And Marco writes off Mercedes Welcome to News from the Nerds, the midweek news show brought to you by the Formula Nerds. Once a week, we update you on everything you need to know from the world of F1. We are the Formula Nerds news team. Make sure you keep up to date with all the latest news by visiting our website at FormulaNerds.com. I am your host, James McKenzie, and I'm glad to say we have Sam back again. How are you feeling, Sam?
0: I'm feeling very much renewed and not flued. That was not meant to be a rhyme, but here we are. Yes, poet laureate, already.
1: (laughs) I, I, I'm good. Thank you, thank you, James. How are you doing? I'm great. Uh, All the better for having you back. That's not to say that I didn't enjoy our our two-person show last week, Abby. That was excellent, I think. Uh, But how are you as well?
2: I'm very well, thank you. I think we did a good job last week, but yes, it is good to have you back, Sam, and to see you feeling better as well.
1: Thank you, Abby. Lovely as always. <laughs> Just a delight. But, well, we have to crack on, and well, we'll be starting with a poignant story today, because it's four years to the day since we lost F1's former race director and all-round legend Charlie Whiting. Or rather it is at the time of recording, as this will go out tomorrow. <laughs> Charlie sadly passed away at the age of 66, unexpectedly on the eve of the 2019 season. He had been race director for more than two decades, having been appointed technical delegate in 1988 and then FIA director and safety delegate in 1997. And well, what else to say, but his absence is still very much felt today. Right, guys.
2: For sure, it's... He was such a big part of f one and Motorsport, and I was watching the tributes that came out at the time of his passing today and it's just so emotional because he was such a big part of it and he's sadly missed and he will forever be remembered
0: yeah he was a, he was a giant of the sport he was a steady hand he was a consistent force um and a very much a stabilizing factor when things were difficult and you just you look back over the last few years and you think all the difficult things that f1 has been through aside from the the growth and and the hugely positive success that f1 has seen and you just wonder how charlie would have
1: navigated the sport through those times well yeah i was thinking that as well um yeah i mean i i remember growing up and being vaguely aware of these kind of white-haired, very important men uh, being Bernie Ecclestone, Max Mosley and Charlie Whiting. And they basically shaped F1 as it was. So yeah, uh, with, I don't know if he, I think he'd started to try and take on Michael Massey as an understudy. He was kind of assisting him, I think, at r- the races and then obviously was thrown into the deep end. And yeah, it's a good point. We have to wonder how different the the landscape in F1 would be today. And obviously some Massive changes, like you say, have come from the growth from Drive to Survive and whatever else. But yeah, I mean, you can kind of see the butterfly effect or the domino effect if you don't want to be that extreme. But in the way that such big incidents have obviously, you know, (laughs) Abu Dhabi 2021 is unavoidable in this in this topic. But Michael Massey was immediately thrown into the deep end because what, the seventh, sixth, seventh race, I think, of his tenure was the Canadian Grand Prix in 2019, which had the whole uh, Lewis and Seb and the changing of the number boards, one and two, controversy about Lewis being effectively awarded the win via the penalty to Seb. And then in the wake of that, you had the total change of policy, which saw Max and Charles come together in Austria and then Max retain that win. And I think that's kind of set us on the the path that we've been on ever since, yeah,
0: absolutely. You you, you wonder about the path not taken, um, because of Charlie's, you know, unfortunate and sad passing away uh, four years ago, and yeah, it's I guess it's always difficult to to look back and replay events with different variables. The sport has had some huge successes, but yeah, as you say, James, there's there's been things on track that you kind of look at and you think would it would it have played out that way we're never gonna know uh, but i think it's really important that we remember charlie for the the man he was and the hugely positive impact he had on the sport
2: nothing else to add i think you guys have said it all you will always wonder what if but it's just remember charlie is the pinnacle of the race directors as herbie blash once said
1: Absolutely. And he is missed and he will forever be missed and remembered as an F1 legend. Uh, now, back in Charlie's day, of course, there was a mighty, all conquering team known by the name of Williams. And sadly, they're no longer the force they once were. And their new team principal, James Vowles, thinks it will take time to move them back up the grid. Right, Sam?
0: Yes, absolutely. So, new team principal, James Vowles, has spoken this week uh, to Racer, where he was talking about the the long road back to, you know, competitiveness, I guess, or the the road to redemption for Williams, and he was saying that essentially, you know, if the last decade, decade and a half, it's been a very very difficult time for the team, both you know, f- financially and otherwise, um, and he pointed to you know some, some of those um, some of those things that haven't gone quite as the team would have hoped, and you know, he's set out that path in terms of years, not months, essentially. He said, we are in a position where we are lacking key technical personnel and the team is definitely under strain at the moment to ensure that we're filling those voids as best we can. So the pathway is not one of months, but years. So, yeah, I think it's it's good that he's speaking about this. It's good that he's being honest and glass half empty uh, as opposed to over-optimistic and over-promising here. I think fans and the sport on the whole wants accurate expectations and yeah, it's, it's going to be a long way back, but I think they are starting to put those pieces in place. I don't know if you guys see differently, um, but yeah, I think F1 with a strong Williams is a, a better and a, a more storied proposition for fans.
2: I completely agree. I think it's refreshing having that honesty from Bouts, obviously, He's coming from Mercedes, a team that is financially better than Williams because of the money that they have. They're championship-winning team. So he can see the stark differences between such a big prominent team like Williams in the like Mercedes in the hybrid area compared to Williams. But it would be great to have Williams back on top. The legacy that they hold in F1 is so important, but I feel like they are taking the right steps to get there. And yes, it might take years, but It's better to go slow and steady and actually be consistent when you get to that top point rather than try and rush things now. And they've recently got appointed a new member of staff. They've got Logan Sargent joining Alex Albon and Vows has come. So I think they're getting the building blocks all together. It will just be finalizing it all and then making steady progress. But I see Williams getting back on top.
0: Absolutely. And on that new member of staff, indeed, thank you for nodding that back in my direction there, uh, so uh, they've appointed Frederick Brousseau as their new Chief Operating Officer. So, a C-suite appointment. Um, he will bring some of that technical expertise that James Vowles was talking about. He hasn't had a career in, in motorsport, but he has a 26-year career in, aeros- in the aerospace industry. So, he will have a lot of experience. Uh, he knows how to manage large teams, large technical teams. So yeah. It looks like a good appointment from Williams' point of view. Obviously it's difficult to kind of comment too much uh as we don't know uh Frederick Brousseau and what exactly he'll bring. But yeah, you've gotta
1: you've gotta expect that it's a good appointment. I think so. I hope so. Uh, yeah, it would be great to, to see Williams on an upward trajectory again. I mean, they, they looked like they were going in the right direction. Then obviously they took another step back with the new regulations when people were hoping it would give them that, that clean slate, but maybe it just came a little too early in their, you know, their reinvention of themselves. But it's been a promising start to the year. You know, they've already got their first point in the first race. And I think. Yeah, I think the team has potential and I would love to see them. I mean, that's the thing, like in Bahrain, the midfield was so close. There was no clear, you know, wooden spoon given out. It was, and I think if we get that for the whole season, that that's great. Obviously, someone has to finish last, but they don't have to be cut adrift of the rest. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we
0: said it in the uh, in the Bahrain race review, it's very much looking like, there's not an obvious back marker at this stage and that might emerge over the next few races but it would be nice if you have a not even a midfield I guess a, a second half to the grid this season that are able to consistently fight for
1: those uh smaller points paying positions it'd be nice if we just had one grid that all could fight for the wins but that's maybe a little too, too optimistic baby steps baby steps
2: well, speaking of teams moving forward and that, one team that we have spoken about many times since before the season began is Aston Martin. And obviously they've got Fernando Alonso in their team this year and he got a podium, which was great to see. But James Vows has now spoken on Alonso's performance at Aston, saying that he is a key factor in their success. He said, I think they have an extraordinary driver who's in the car. Lance did very well as well. That's not taking anything away from them. The team's taken some large steps forward. Now, obviously, it is great to see Aston Martin on top and Alonso performing in that. But I'm more interested in Valdez's comments of they have an extraordinary driver in the car. Lance did very well as well. So that obviously means he's talking about Alonso. But I feel like Lance has proved himself, obviously, with his injuries, which we spoke about last week. I think they're both working very well. They're both key factors in Aston Martin's success, in my opinion. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, I think particularly given the the context of the injury, it's maybe somewhat selling Lance short there. Uh, and also, when you're coming into a new team, you do rely on the guy who's been there longer. Lance knows his way around. He understands the car. He understands where the development has been and come from. So I think Lance is very important to Fernando and allowing Fernando to unlock that. We never really expected Lance to outperform Fernando, especially with an injury. But yeah, it's. I think maybe a little bit harsh on on large Stroll, but I mean Fernando is a proven absolute. I was going to say absolute stud, but that sounds really really weird. <laughs> he, he is. He's. He's an, Let's face it. He's an all-time great driver. So you would expect him to bring those results, but also his tenacity. He has that. Uh, you are like this, James. Je ne sais quoi. That kind of intangible quality where he just drags the team forward. He's so devoted, so hardworking that it spills out to the rest of the team. And it makes every he makes everyone else around him better when he's being positive, being proactive, being productive. But obviously, we know that with Fernando, it's a very thin edge to that sword where when yeah. things go badly, that's when things start to spiral and fall, fall apart. So Aston just needs to keep on going with that
1: momentum. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was going to say uh, we've seen both sides, yeah, both edges to that sword. Uh, but yeah, it, it started really well. I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's not just selling Lance short. Although on that note, I will say that we Lance, I think, proved himself in holding his own against Seb for the most part over the last two seasons as well. They weren't a million miles apart. Seb obviously ended up with more points more often than not. But I think, yeah, he was very respectable against a a four-time world champion, considering how some people like to view Lance. So I I wouldn't be surprised if he, yeah, maybe... Ends up with fewer points than Alonso again, but isn't too far away. Uh, certainly, once he's got two working wrists. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's selling maybe the whole team a little short in the sense that yes, we can, as you say, we can see the effect that Alonso can have on a team. But you know, he joined when the wheels were very much set, very much set in motion for this season already. I remember Carlos saying at some point during the the barring Grand Prix weekend that they'd been aware of the great uh, you know signs coming out of the. wind tunnel at Aston Martin since December. How Ferrari knew about that I'm not sure I'd be quite interested to know but clearly people were expecting this from Aston.
0: I mean that paddock is a very very small and incestuous place everyone talks to everyone everyone's friends yeah everyone knows what's going on.
2: piece of news that has surfaced this week is regarding another race that could potentially be added to the F1 calendar, even though we have loads already. It is the London Grand Prix. So rumours have speculated in recent years that there could be a London Grand Prix and it has been released that the LDN Collective and DAR have put forward some plans for a waterfront race around London on the Docklands, and it would be a 5,868-metre circuit with 22 corners. They've already got some statistics on what it could be like, and the pit lane would be in the London Excel Centre, and it all looks very promising, and apparently F1 were, well, according to reports, they were in conversation about the London Grand Prix. But since then, Crash.net have reported that there is apparently no discussion with F1 about a Grand Prix. And F1 have apparently said, there are no plans for a Docklands Grand Prix. We have a long-standing relationship with Silverstone. So obviously, we've seen the likes of America now have three Grand Prix's with Las Vegas being added this year, Miami and Kota as well. But for England or for the UK, it looks like it is sticking to one Grand Prix at Silverstone. I want to get your guys' thoughts on what a London Grand Prix would potentially be like, and whether you think we could see more British Grand Prix on the calendar or
0: whether it all is just speculation. I mean, I look forward to a London Grand Prix when we have the New York Grand Prix held in New Jersey. It's, yeah, it's one of those things that people will talk about it and they'll talk about it and they'll talk about it. It's, it I just don't, I don't see it happening, especially somewhere like Docklands where, yes, you get, I guess, this London skyline, if you want to call it a skyline, Um in the background, but it's so far out of kind of central central London, like the city, um, that it doesn't really feel that much like London. Uh, to be honest with you, and also Formula E have, have done it; they've done it very very well. But that is the the blueprint for Formula e, is the city races, street courses. It fits the product. F1, keep on trying to fit this product in. And yes, it it may well work in Vegas, and I hope it does. But you've got to be right in the middle of the city for me. much like the New York Grand Prix, you'd have to be right in the middle of New York for that to to kind of work. So yeah, I I don't see it happening. Um, I'm not going to get too carried away by it. Um, And that is someone who's lived in South London or on the outskirts of London for my entire life.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the first thing to claim to be in London and actually not be. You know, naming no names, but Harry Potter Studios, London is definitely in Watford, Gatwick, <laughs> yeah, Luton, yeah, all these Stansted. <laughs> right.
2: The list goes on.
1: Yeah, but uh see London I Airport. airport? You, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but I think yeah, it's I can't realistically see uh, a Grand Prix that would you know go down the Mall and then it through Piccadilly Circus or something it's one thing Monaco shutting down for three days but I don't think yeah that that level and I guess to some extent Vegas just because it is a very unique place it is basically a strip and it is so tourist centric it doesn't have to worry so much about the logistics you know like in London shutting down the centre of London for a Grand Prix for three days would cause chaos I don't and I think the cons outweigh the pros personally. I also don't think we really need any more street circuits. It's nice to mix it up but you know there are more and more just every season exponentially increasing. Well that's why be the docklands right? Cuz it's
0: not as inconvenient. But then yeah you lose the the it yeah, exactly. factor from it. So yeah. it's a it's a lose lose in my view.
1: Yeah, no, sorry, to clarify, I meant like I actually agree with you in terms of Docklands isn't really London enough to make it a London Grand Prix. And yeah, the uh, the prospects of a realistic London Grand Prix look slim.
2: Well, the plans that did come out said that it would be ready by 2026 with f- floating grandstands ready for the new set of regulations. But as you guys said, I don't think it's looking that promising for it. So
0: Well, uh, the... Grandstand regulations coming in. The way you said that made it sound <laughs> like the floating grandstand regulations. I was like, oh, this is new.
2: <laughs> no, when, <laughs> the new engine regulations, but floating grandstands are apparently one of the key aspects of the new circuit.
0: How, but, how would that even work? All right, in the Thames?
2: Like, no so, idea. Surely,
0: it's uh, surely the uh, temporary is surely that's what it yeah. that means, right? Yeah. Not actually floating. They're not <laughs> permanent. <laughs> okay. I don't, Sorry, I've latched onto a word and I'm being, <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: Sorry. But yes, we will have to see. But I'm like you guys. I think the cons outweigh the pros and doesn't look like it would definitely be happening. We have enough races as it is, I think.
0: Well, I mean, that's the thing. What gets cut? You, you, you had a London race. What goes? There's other places that you could have a Grand Prix I don't think, yeah, but it, even then, Brands Hatch, is that really a, equipped for a, a modern-day Grand Prix, F1 weekend? I don't think it is. I think Silverstone is really probably the only legitimate venue in the UK, you know, track size, so on and so forth, unless you, yeah, I don't know,
1: think really outside the box. Yeah, and I think it fits, you know, it's, it being the first ever Grand Prix, it's one of the historic effectively venues. I think that works nicely. I think that kind of ties in with how people see the UK at least, um, you know, quite traditional maybe. And I don't think we really uh, justify a second Grand Prix. Uh, you can say obviously America is enormous and each corner of the country has quite a different vibe to it. Obviously that's the case, you know, it's it's very different in Newcastle than it is in London. But yeah, I don't think We should be spreading it more evenly around. I mean, we should get a Grand Prix in Africa, realistically, before we start looking at a second within, you know, 100 miles of London. 100% absolutely right. And also,
0: you know, aside from we should be going to Africa and, you know, we should look at uh, another South American race, other places that we haven't yet, uh, you know, ventured to as a sport or haven't ventured there enough, you know, there, there isn't a French Grand Prix, on the calendar this year
1: i know uh, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm 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 no you know resident of paris but i'm pretty sure grand prix is a french saying um yeah. and i'm pretty sure the FIA are french also there's no german grand prix so we are so far down the pecking order that yeah is
1: it's a silly consideration in that sense for the record i'm also very bitter that there was a paris e up until the year that i moved to paris and now there's seemingly never going to be one again I was going to say, all I can do is (laughs) apologise (laughs) for something. It's nothing to do with me. How very British of you. Uh, But yes, we will move on. Uh, And finally this week, well, it's apparently the end of Mercedes title hopes already. That, of course, doesn't really come as news, uh, arguably, after the first Grand Prix, but it's rare to hear another senior team member say it outright, that is, unless it's Helmut Marko. With rumours swirling that Mercedes will already be looking to completely change the concept of their car, the Red Bull advisor believes that they will struggle to develop multiple cars, saying it will be difficult, you can't just design two or three different cars, it will be tricky with the budget cap. A new car doesn't just work either because you have to be competitive from the start. They lack the test days and race experience. They can forget about the world title. They don't have one problem with the concept this year, but several. So what do we make of those comments? Far from the most controversial thing Marco's ever said. But yeah, also, to be honest, kind of hard to disagree with.
2: It is hard to disagree, even though I predicted George Russell was world champion in our prediction show. But <laughs> let's ignore that prediction for now. It's... It is still early days. We have only had one race. And yes, Mercedes didn't look promising. But what Marco has said is logical. It is realistic. Trying to design two cars at once. It is tricky. They could end up going over the budget cap, in which case we will see them get consequences from that, like Bull did last year. But we've already heard Russell say that he's willing to sacrifice this season to work on the car. And I think... I think we could see that. I think we could see them trying a new concept with one driver and like half the team trying a new concept with one driver and the other just trying to f- make small tweaks to the W14. I don't see them winning the championship as much as I would like to see them. Fighting for second or third is more realistic. Red Bull look like they have it in the bag this year, which it's it's obvious Marco is going to try and put doubt in – the minds of fans or of rivals. But what he said, it does seem to reason that that will be the case for Mercedes, unfortunately.
0: But I mean, he's also talking down, you know, the, the red Bull advantage, isn't he? He said that the, the se- as the season progresses and we run out of wind tunnel time, the others will ha- still have that available and our lead will then melt away. Yeah. Your lead might melt away, but you're still going to have a lead most likely. That is a, a. They are were so dominant. They were so comfortable in Bahrain that even if they start slipping back into the clutches of Ferrari, Mercedes, and dare I even say Aston Martin, they're still going to be in that conversation. They're going to be in the title fight, and yeah, I think he's probably just trying to moderate and mediate expectations, um, both Red Bulls and Mercedes, I guess. He's playing a bit of a, a two-sided political game there.
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, equally, I think Helmut Marco just says whatever he wants and whatever comes into his head is the the impression yeah, I've always yeah. got. Uh, and yeah, no, I mean, like I said, hard to disagree with. Uh, I think Mercedes will struggle at this point. It's already damage limitation this year or rather looking to the future. Uh, and yeah, we'll just have to wait and see and hope that this weekend we'll get a closer A more competitive race. But yeah, uh, moving into this weekend, I think that'll do for this new show. Uh, Thank you for listening. Be sure to head over to FormulaNerds.com and all the Formula Nerds socials to find out the latest on these and any other stories. We'll be back with that second race review of the year this weekend. Well, they will. I won't, sadly, as I'm in the UK doing a few gigs. Uh, if anyone listening is uh, a progressive post-hardcore fan, then please do check out You Winning in Gravity. And then if you near, live near London, come down and, and see my band. You guys live near London. What's, uh, what's, the, what's the deal? When are you going to be there? Yeah, we've got a podcast to record, though. <laughs> <laughs> We're you know, in London on Friday night. There's no excuses. You can't still be watching Practice 2. I mean... Uh,
0: not to get too into our (laughs) schedule I was going to say not to get too into our schedule I am covering FP1 and also the F2 qualifying and the press conference on Friday so my
1: dance card is unfortunately full for the day alright I'll let you off uh, and Abby, I'll let you off as well in advance before (laughs) you can (laughs) <laughs> come up with some excuses
2: okay thank you but i would love to see you and your band play live at some point james
1: yeah well uh for now i'll stick to to podcasting and yeah thank you guys for joining me on that podcast even if you're not joining me at the gig oh, i'm gonna feel bad about this all week now <laughs> <laughs>
2: thank you for having us
1: yes it well it's been a pleasure well Yes, uh, I think we're all out of poetry, because that's one each. I mean, it's back to Sam now, I guess. Okay, all right. I'll get writing. (laughs) Okay, no pressure. Uh, I know you've got a busy weekend. So, until we come back with uh, whatever Sam cooks up this time, it is lights out, mics off, and away we go. Till then. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights
2: out, and away away we go!
1: Podcast Network.